listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Okay, we might be able to make this work this time. We'll see. Sweet. So you had you had internet issues. Is that what happened, Ryan? Last time, your internet was slow. Well, we yes, we had a tech out the the day after actually, and he got us a new uh, modem router combo. How's it looking today? Take it. It's hanging in there. Yeah. Every time yeah. we have, like, if we have two of us, it's perfect. If there's three of us, there's a little delay. And then if there's four, like, every person that hops on, it gets, like, further removed from perfect. So it just is what it is. But yeah. then the recording saves I mean, uh, at a higher a higher resolution. I, I truly right? do not need to be part of this interview. I mean, it's – so if it um, – We're around. not going to lose anything by losing the <laughs> – um, so it's your – it's your. I feel like you like, – s- I feel like you said this last time, like you're trying to get out of it, Matt. Yeah. If, if nothing else, you bring a, like a little stardom to the, to the podcast, you know? <laughs> That's me, Mr. Star Power. <laughs> Star Power. <laughs> I, how do you feel? Do you feel like this will be smooth enough, Bracken? Yeah, we're going to go. You're the right editing guys. Guys. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I, operating I under the impression that it could all just go to hell at any moment and so like we, <laughs> yeah. we, we dive into the the good stuff immediately and yeah. uh because the preamble is all we got in last time so to, yeah. you take it from here but i'm just like i'm on pins and needles <laughs> i have faith we'll just deal with the delay um ryan so i got your book right here oh fantastic so i don't know yeah, so I don't know if you sent it to me or Matt sent it to me. I'm not sure, but Matt. truth be told, it came. Matt did. Thank you, Matt. It came on Tuesday, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So we're gonna learn together, is what I'm getting at today. Okay. And I'm sure mine's in the mail, arriving on Christmas morning. <laughs> so, um, so I guess we tried just to give the audience um, a little bit of a, I got preface. We tried to do this interview how long ago? Maybe a month. Something like that? When was it? Yeah, three weeks, month, somewhere around there. All right. Ran into technical difficulties. So this is attempt number two, but I have a lot of faith. And so uh, with us today, very familiar, Matt Fitzgerald. This is what, your third go-round, Matt? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. God, you're a regular. Just, yep, just attention starved over there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, I just like you guys. Oh, start. And then we got Ryan Whited, and I'm pronouncing that right. Is that right, Ryan? Whited? Nailed it. Good job. Like the past. Thanks. And, and you guys wrote a – okay. And that's not a thing. but um, And you guys wrote a book <laughs> together. And Matt, Matt sent me an email a month or so ago saying like, hey, I got this guy, Ryan. He knows his stuff. We wrote a book together, and we should chat it out. And then I saw the topic. 
Um, and it made me even more interested. So you're Matt verified. And then obviously the topic, um, we were just chatting about a personal sort of, I got an injury situation pop up. So you're actually conveniently, um, in this conversation for personal reasons now, but, um, that's how we got here today. So the book is what pain and performance basically, and why rest isn't the answer is that, was that a good summation there? Yeah. Yeah. On the most basic level, that's Kirk. Great, well, good talking. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Nice work, (laughs) y'all. So last time we started, I asked you how you came to Matt or how Matt came to you. And you talked about it. It intrigued me, but the audience didn't get to hear it. So we're going to have to retread ground we've already tread for the sake of a good story. But you are not, as far as I could dive in and find out, a lifelong runner. And Matt is, and yet you guys collaborated, collaborated on essentially what from our perspective is a running book, even though I think you would probably argue it's a whole lot more than that. But how did you two come to collaborate on this? Me? Okay. Uh, I used to give a talk called pain and performance. Um, and that was, Matt was attending Rob Carr run camp and Rob and I have worked together. Uh, we've become friends now at this point, we're pretty good friends but we've worked through many of his injuries together also. Um, and now, uh, uh, well, so it ended up that I gave, gave before a uh, talk for his run camp that Matt attended. Um, during that talk, uh, many of the things that I said resonated with Matt, uh, which is kind of funny because a lot of times I feel like there, so that same night there, there were quite a few medical professionals in attendance as well. Um, but the things that I said just kind of went right by him, but for whatever reason, uh, it landed and rang true with Matt. Um, so afterward he came up to me and, um, mentioned sort of in passing, you know, maybe it's, uh, that we should maybe at some point get back together and continue some of these thoughts, uh, and expand them into a book. And then I think I reached out later on, uh, um, I forget how much later on I reached out to Matt and said, Hey, you know, about that thing you mentioned, maybe we should. So (laughs) yeah. And then, uh, here we are several years later. (laughs) So so Matt transport me back to Rob Carr's running camp, which by the way, Rob does not know me, but he spends a lot of time with me. Uh, hit the Vapor Crar running belt is to date still my favorite belt. There's been nothing I can find that replaces it. And so I'm going to run that baby into the ground because they don't make it anymore. Uh, but so Crar has a soft spot in my heart. He doesn't know I exist. But Matt, take me back to that day. What jumped out at you and struck you? Because I'm sure you get people who reach out and pitch things to you all the time. Anyone who does something gets people who are like, hey, you should do this with me. Why did you, what did you see in him that day? What did you hear that just jolted you? You know, so I, uh, I am a lifelong runner and unfortunately it throughout, um, I didn't get hurt in high school, but I was just, you know, the kind of person, if I sneezed, I got plantar fasciitis, it seemed. Um, and, and it was like, you know, like a, just a major frustration for me, just getting hurt all the time. And, um, and it, you know, funny enough, I just, you know, kind of learned over time that, um, you know, there, there are three, three major chronic, uh, injuries I had, um, each of which 
prevented me from competing for more than a year. One of them for more than three years that I, each one of them I thought was, you know, career ending. And, um, I sought medical help, very, very qualified medical help, um, from more than one clinician for each of those, um, including a surgery <laughs> for, for one of them. And in each of those cases, plus a lot of the minor injuries I, I suffered, the doctors couldn't fix me. The PTs couldn't fix me. And yet I overcame all of them. And how I overcame them was uh, the same way I, I got the injuries, which was running, <laughs> you know, and, and other forms of exercise. And, you know, one time it's like um, a surprise, two times coincidence, three times it's a pattern, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so eventually um, the, you know, you know, I'm, I'm slow on the uptake, but you know, even I was able to figure out eventually that like um, I needed to really self-manage, uh, you know, pain and, and injury. Not that, you know, I was never going to see a doctor again under any circumstances, but, you know, you know, my lesson was I can do this by myself for the, for the most part. And, 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 and seeking medical help is, um, you know, often a dead end um, for you know, the other types of injuries I was experiencing. And when I sat in on, uh, Ryan's talk, what he explained about the science of, of pain um, made sense of what I had experienced um, for the first time. Like for the first time, there was an explanation <laughs> for what I'd experienced. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not a freak. I guess I'm actually pretty normal. Um, and it just made a ton of sense to me. And I'm like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm someone who, who tries to be on the vanguard of you know, knowledge and, and best practice in the endurance space. So like, I always try to be a step ahead of whoever I'm competing against, uh, you know, coaches and other uh, authors and such. And so I, I figured, well, if I'm just hearing this for the first time, then pretty much no one else <laughs> knows this. So for me, it was just an opportunity to, um, to put a megaphone, you know, to Ryan's message and which I felt could, it was gonna, I knew it was gonna benefit me even though I'd sort of like figured it out on my own. Um, but I knew a lot of other athletes could benefit from hearing this message. Well, now we have to just sort of jump into it, don't we? Yeah, we do. I want to do, you know, <laughs> Ryan's backstory and getting to know you, which I want to know because I know you're not a traditional runner background as well, but could, maybe like a cliff notes, just a teaser, like what that message is exactly that, that Matt heard that day. Sure. Uh, I'll give the most abridged version I can. Um, so it's how we've approached, uh, injury slash pain management has been from the presupposition that what hurts is damaged. Uh, and so we treat it like that, but that is just simply not how pain works. And that's the most abridged version I can give. <laughs> Feel free to go one more deviation from there. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so it's the case, you know, we, when something hurts, um, we get a prescription together. Like we think, oh, this is damaged, so I need to rest it. Uh, and then we also cognitively, it biases us toward thinking that something is damaged. So uh, we tend to start being fearful of the pain that we're experiencing uh, and the use of the thing that hurts. And so that might cause some avoidance. Uh, and so it's this cascade of issues that sets us up for failure. And sadly, the people that we go to seek help 
during these processes uh, have very little education in pain, even though that is the exact reason that most of us go to see those folks. <laughs> um, so they have a ton of uh, biomechanical uh, knowledge, you know, that they have, well, we, we hope anyways, that they've uh, come across. Um, but very often that just doesn't have much to do with the pain that we're experiencing. So there are other psychosocial things that contribute greatly. Sure, biomechanics um, and the bio part of the biopsychosocial approach to um, tending to these processes uh, matters, but to a much lesser degree than it's been given credit uh, for. So we end up in this um, goose chase of trying to, you know, fix something. And very often the thing that we're trying to use to fix that thing is probably making it worse. So this, this is, the topic has hit Kirk and I differently. Kirk okay. has dealt with a lot of stress-related issues in his lower extremities. Whereas like I went literal, injury-free. Go ahead. Like uh, psychological stress or like stress, uh, bony stress injuries? Bony stress. Well, probably okay. both, but mostly bony. <laughs> let's say 80% bony stress, 20% psychological stress to help Matt understand those, that ratio. So, and so I think this makes some sense to him, the concept of he'll always talk like I have to feather it for a little bit, but he just before mm -hmm. this was talking to me that if I take time off, I'm going to re-hurt myself when I come back. Whereas what I had was two meniscus tears with surgery, quadricep tendinopathy, and a broken big toe. Like things mm -hmm. that had a very specific prescription for how... Like a broken big toe is a broken big toe. The more I run on it. Yeah. The only one of those that does is the broken big toe. Okay. All right. I'd like to get to that for a second. But the one the one thing I had in experience with this was the tendinopathy, quadricep tendinopathy, where the prescription was I have to use it every single day, but in a different way. Otherwise, it cannot, will not heal. Like if I don't stress this thing and, and, and lift, you know, and other things every day, I will never heal it. And so I healed it by use. Everything else was very different. Like I had to have knee surgery on both knees and it wasn't like, all right, I got to get up and train this because for a little bit you I could, and maybe, maybe you're going to actually throw that back in my face and that's fine. I welcome that. But this, this, I've only had one piece of real experience with where Kirk has had others. So I'm very interested uh -huh. in like mm -hmm. what your guidelines are, like where does it apply? Where does it not apply right off the bat to people? Yeah. With uh, an acute like bony stress injury, that can be different. Uh, that That is a bone that needs to heal. But that should be confirmed within imaging, which is also sort of a slippery little slope because um, mm. imaging, it, imaging doesn't take pictures of pain. Uh, mm. It takes mm. pictures of uh, parts. And so, but we relate um, those images to, oh, that's why I hurt so bad. But that's just not how it works. So with meniscus, uh, there are many, many people uh, above 50% of a certain age have meniscal changes. So if you had a painful knee and you were looking to explain it with images, and they took a picture of your knee and they would go, hmm. that's why it hurts. But that is not why it hurts. Um, it just so happens that that is there. It's called a spurious correlation. So if you 
you graph ice cream sales and uh, violent crime, mm-hmm. the graph will look very similar. But that does not mean that ice cream is responsible for violent crime. Right. Um, so, <laughs> it, yeah, it's just a um, uh, reverse causation is another way to term it. So, um, so with meniscal injuries particularly, um, those that's a very fuzzy diagnosis your knee hurt and you happen to have a meniscal change there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And with the patellar tendinopathy. So back to a tendinopathy, um, we can have a perfectly healthy tendon, uh, and have it painful tendon. And you can have a very pathologized tendon and have a a perfectly pain-free tendon. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that reminds me sort of of the uh yeah just let's swim around in these muddy waters a little more it, it reminds me a little bit of like the whole bone spur thing uh matt brought up um plantar fasciitis and i'm like oh my god my my heels i was in such pain i go in and they take an image and it's like well you got bone spurs obviously yeah, you know, this is the issue here. And I was like, then I did my own research. I'm like, like pretty much all have bone spurs and uh-huh. we don't all have <laughs> symptoms. Like, but now I can just, I can put a nice cute little bow tie on my symptoms, so to speak, when it just reminds me of, of that time in particular, right off the bat. And in fact, speaking to Matt and to you, like with my plantar fasciitis, I took an entire month off, rested it after I dealt with it for a year two runs back, I was in the exact same damn spot as I was before I took my month off. And that was my aha moment with, with things. It was like, um, I'll try to use an analogy to make Bracken proud, but it's like, um, like the sunburn analogy. It's like you go out in the sun repeatedly and you build up, build up a nice resistance to that. And then you go indoors for a little while, AKA take a break and you go back out the sun, the same amount of time you used to, and you get burnt and it's miserable. Well, the biggest mm-hmm. mistake you did was take time off from the sun, right? Like, how are you ever going to acclimate to that if you're if you mm-hmm. avoid it altogether? And so, um, I don't even know where I'm going with that. Other than that, just reminded me of the fact that I've experienced that um, myself. And so, like, you're right, Brack, and we are in very different camps in that regard, though, because if you have like a clinical diagnosis, and what else are you supposed to believe or treat? It's it's not as cut and dry as what I'm understanding. Is that simple enough? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it is very rarely cut and dry. Uh, with, with pain specifically. Uh, so with medical conditions, you can diagnose a medical condition, right? Through uh, objective measurements. With pain, it is subjective experience. So, um, and we all have that experience, you know, uniquely. So... And now, I mean, most informed clinicians, if they talk about plantar fasciitis, they're going to say plantar heel pain because that's as far as you can get. It hurts there. Um, but it's, it's not an itis. There's no inflammation. It's not that bone spur. Um, we just know that your heel hurts. So, um, but when you get an image, it strongly biases you towards symptoms. There's, there's something called the nocebo effect. Uh, and when you get a picture, even if, even if they say this doesn't really matter, if you get a picture of your back and there are some abnormalities there, it is going to cognitively bias you towards symptoms, even if you don't believe it's going to. Does that make sense? For sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and when we adopt those things, when we adopt, you know, like, oh, I have, you know, this condition, then it, it sets us up for failure. So, and you end up sort of trying to chase these fixes of your tissue, but really it's not, it's, it's you, uh, and that is going to change. And there are many ways for you to change. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess a quick, just to draw a line in the sand, sort of, or at least just to what I dumb it down for me, if you had to simplify, like, I'm not sure if I'm hearing this correct, but like, if you have obvious bone trauma, let's say a broken toe or a clear stress fracture by yep. an MRI or CT scan or whatever it is, uh, x-rays are worthless generally for those, my experience, um, uh-huh. that would be one thing, right? Like an impact trauma or a but like hard bone tissue, obvious, this is clear. Maybe that would be an exception, but maybe there's a potential for anything other than like a bone trauma to, to go along the path that you're talking. Is that what I'm maybe understanding? I think so. If I understand you correctly. Um, <laughs> I didn't yeah, worry that. Yeah. Correctly. So, <laughs> so, um, yes, with a bony, with a bony injury, uh, then that, that, that takes rest to actually heal that. But with a painful tendon, um, it, you're the, the pain changing is not dependent on the tissue changing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That was my so with your tendinopathy. Yeah. yeah, that was my exact experience. And that was probably my biggest issue as Kirk will attest and our listeners will coming back. It was very difficult to trust that it was there because pain wasn't indicative of healing. Right. So I could trust the process. I could trust the reloading yep. and the reacclimatizing uh, to my sports-specific movement. But there was always that feeling of, is it whole or not? And can I actually do the thing? And I assume that you have a whole lot of experience in that area. But that was yep. my first experience with an injury that doesn't present itself via pain. Right. Yeah. And very rarely is that the case. So, um, And, you know, you did. So you changed your training. Uh, you, you, you did a good, good job and it changed, but not for the reasons that you would assume, like you're saying, you know, it it wasn't dependent on, uh, that tissue changing in order for your, your tendon to feel better, your knee to feel better, you to feel better. So, and back to the bony stress thing. So, or the bony, um, injuries. So, um, I worked with a lady a few years ago who was out walking with friends, um, and ended up fracturing her femoral neck um, and just fell. Um, so she had a catastrophic failure of her femoral neck with zero symptoms. So you can have even uh, a severely pathologized bone without any pain also. So there was no warning against uh, for any of that. So all of this, ha- how we've learned to think about this is just way more fuzzy than uh than what we've been inclined to believe so what what's the first so then what here like we accept the fact that pain is not congruent with injury injury does not always manifest as pain pain can't always be trusted localization isn't isn't the way we need to start with imaging and all that but okay we accept that so what's the first so what so then where do you come in and where do you go with that knowledge with an athlete with a an individual um, you know, so that, that automatically brings a different context to the process, right? So when you realize, oh, this isn't necessarily, you know, my damaged tissue, 
this this um, could be because we're in the middle of the holiday season and my family maxes me out uh, and everything just hurts a little more like when I have a cold uh, or a flu. You know what I mean? So the, there are all of those factors that you kind of have to bring to the table and go, you know, uh, I have not slept well in this many days because this thing hurts. And now I'm worried if I'm going to be able to compete in the thing that I've been training for for nine months. Um, and so you have to bring all of this to the table and factor it in rather than just a single thought of damage. Um, and so you realize like, oh, we have a lot to move here. We can work with a lot of things to change this experience. And number one being the, the change in context, like just out of the gate, knowing I just doesn't mean that I'm damaged. I can start from that spot uh, and start moving these other pieces and working with them. So what's the order of operations for triage or something like this? Like, let's say I come to you with planner, heal pain, uh-huh. and yeah. I have something coming and it is the holidays. And I also have been imbibing a bit too much and I haven't been doing my mobility as much, but I also have a very vertical based race that if it truly is injured is going to really, really wreck this thing potentially. Like what's order of operations before you pull the plug and say rest? How do you, if I come to you with that, what, what does this look like? You know, so I end up just, um, moving small pieces basically with these people. We have, we make a collaborative change to, um, your training, meaning we're going to discuss like what little parts should we move and see what affects what. So it's not necessarily like it'd be awesome if it was a printout um, and we had an order of operations, but it's not. Um, the only constant in the, the variable is, or in the uh, um, equation is you continuing uh, forward. So, and you have many ways to do that. So um, when I work with folks, that's how it is. It's just this collaborative uh, coaching through this process, you know, and we just make little moves see what affects what and stay going forward. Is that so it's not if we supremely frustrating? It's how. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. What was, what was the other question? <laughs> Bracken, go for it. Yeah. I asked if that's supremely frustrating to people because imaging is clean. Rest is clean. Clean is, is calming. Clean is, clean is soothing. Uh-huh. This isn't. This could be... I have a new thing I'm going to try and this might be it. And I wait and then I'm frustrated again and I try the next thing and it didn't provide the answer. It, is there like a, is there a rate where people drop off and just have to go run and get a clean answer, even if it's not the best answer, or is this an encouraging process that you find? Yeah, it should be an encouraging process. Um, and you know, there are those times when if you, if you know that somebody is struggling with their nutrition and they have had a, had a spike in training, then I'm like, oh, well, let's maybe clear, you know, the, the, that you don't have uh, stress reaction or uh, bony injury of some sort. But those mm-hmm. are the, those are the outliers. The other one, like the other way forward, is more like a relationship. So um, that's not a clear cut thing, right? Uh, that's a very dynamic thing. So you have to know how each one of you is feeling in the room that day, or on the road trip that you're on, you know what I mean? Um, so it's a very dynamic process, like a relationship. So, uh, that can be very fulfilling, uh, and very frustrating. 
So, but that's kind of how it works. Maybe I'm asking too broad of a question here and maybe you've already answered it and I'm just kind of an idiot, but like, like what is pain? Like what is pain? Well, if we talk oh, about geez. pain is in the title, right? Like what, like what is pain? What are we talking about here as far as like, I don't even know the question I'm asking, but like if that is not a direct correlation, like the ice cream and the crimes or whatever analogy you use, like what, what are we what are we feeling? Like, what is pain then? Why is it there? What, what's the stem? Is it psychosomatic? Is it referred? Is it, why is it not dangerous? What, what, I guess I, I'm asking a myriad of things that aren't clear, but can you help me with that? Those are a bunch of questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there is no. a succinct definition from the International Association of the Study of Pain, um, which I have not committed to memory. But essentially how that boils down is it is um, a complex experience between sensory input, meaning your like, tactile input when you touch things and how that information comes into the nervous system, and an accumulation of past experiences. So it can be like uh, a threat of injury a worry of injury or even a worry of pain. Uh, and then it can actually be an, although that sensory input into the nervous system also helpful and pain. Yeah, no, no, definitely helpful. It sort of reminds like a little bit of like, we did this experiment it was like somebody heated up a rod or something and said like, you're going to touch it and it's going to be hot and it's going to hurt. But really the rod was like yeah, frozen and you touched it and it yeah. was cold and it shouldn't be inducing pain at all, but somehow there was, you know, a predisposition of the pain. We felt the sensation and we got scared of it when there would be no harm in, let's say, putting my finger on that cold metal rod. That's harmless, but yet somehow I, I was very much tricked into the fact that my finger needed to get off of that thing. Like, I'm wondering mm -hmm. oh, if you participated in this? If that's often the case. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't it's, like, it wasn't like an official study. It was like, Hey, people screw oh, off. Okay. Right. But like, um, <laughs> yeah. But like, is that, is that happen often? And like, is that, is that a lot of the times the case that you might see? It happens every time is, you experience, you suspect you might experience pain or you experience pain. It happens every time. Does that make sense? Huh. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it has, there's something called the expectancy effect. Um, and expectancy is just part of, um, uh, how we interact with pain. There's, there's, um, cognitive science out there called predictive processing where, uh, the, the thinking is, is that you basically are predicting constantly. You're sort of guessing, anticipating off of previous experiences. And that's how we build out, um, uh, what we interpret is, you know, uh, the world. So, um, essentially they're saying we are hallucinating, um, our daily days. So, um, but you are constantly expected, expecting or predicting, uh, in all of our experiences from your first one to your last one. So yes, every time you experience pain or, uh, injury that is just built in there and changing that is a big part of how you can change, um, interrupting that, that expectation um, is how you can change pain sometimes. So you can sort of trick yourself into, uh, or distract yourself. The, the fancy term is, um, expectancy violation. So you can violate that expectation 
by changing the plane that you do an activity in, uh, running backwards, that kind of stuff. Where you know, that's just novel. There's nothing. It's very unlikely that you're changing the tissue, uh, and that's why your pain experience is changing. You're just running backwards, and that's weird, hmm. right? Um, so um, it's a novel thing that you're throwing into the mix, and your brain is like, "Well, I don't really have time to like think about that." So. Um, you, you just kind of are distracting yourself a bit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. Long pauses. We, we have a delay in the audio. Okay. So don't read too far into <laughs> the pauses. The delay. Yeah. Oh, it's totally the delay. Yeah. <laughs> We're not eating as much as we hear you. I swear. So prior to all this, I was a teacher. And yep. in, in the teaching world, the two best students to work with are total blank slates or really high performing students who are open and intelligent about trying new things and adapting and like you're working on the fine tuning or give me a blank slate and they'll just absorb everything. And then as coaches, we see the mm-hmm. same kind of thing. No preconceived notions, no biases, really fun to work with people, really high performing athletes who are open to micro changes, really fun to work with in terms of pain. Is there an ideal yep. type of, of individual to work with? who can have this sort of reprogramming quickly? Like, is it more beneficial to be comfortable with many sorts of pain? Or is it the more we deal with pain, the more we build our own preconceived notions, our expectancies? Uh, the second part of that is accurate. So the more, um, the more you kind of push into discomfort, uh, the more kind of, well, so strength training has been shown to reduce significant uh, back pain, but not for the reasons that we think, uh, meaning it's not like your strong core that's protecting you from your back pain. Um, it's many, many factors that are changing that experience. Um, and you're less likely to have significant back pain uh, for a long period of time. So you learn how to like um, change that just by interacting with it more often. There's not really like any one person that's better than the other. We all we all are so unique that it's, it's each of us have our own experience with pain. You know? Like uh, my upbringing um, is a great example of that um, because I was brought up like close. Um, when you guys start the book, you'll realize like there was a hospital bed in our living room for a while because of the nature of my dad's job um, and it was just a constant conversation in our house. I didn't realize how much of an impact that had on my life until a much later date. Um, and so, and you know, it landed differently than it landed with my brother. So how it affected me was completely different than how it, it, my brother left with uh, those influences. So um, it's just purely individual. So I will say that if, if a person has uh, significant back pain, there's a likelihood that they've had a family member that's had significant back pain in that in their upbringing. But it's not for those biomechanical reasons that you think that it might be. So it's not the bad back. Um, it's that you constantly saw somebody struggle with this as, as you were being brought up. Does that make sense? But it's yeah. not because their back was bad. So for people listening to this, there's not an ideal or a lost cause case. It's anyone can learn to reprogram and you have as good odds as anyone else. It's not like you need to be an elite athlete or a blank slate or something in between to really yeah, succeed sir. at this. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, no, that's, that is a hundred percent true. 
um, pain is always changeable. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always changeable. There are some folks, you know, that, um, will have a harder time. Um, I've shared a couple times, uh, during a conversation recently that, uh, I work with a couple athletes that have, um, RA and so their pain experience is just going to be a little different. Um, but it's still a matter of just, you know, sweet talking that process. So you don't want to bully a pain experience. You just, you can sweet talk, uh, sweet talk your way through that experience and it's probably going to be a little more helpful. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt, to bring, to bring you back into the conversation, um, because I feel like what I, what I kind of think I'm going to learn best by is like examples, right? Like somebody goes for a run and suddenly they get done and their hamstrings tight and they kind of have a limp the rest of the day, right? And they're like, that's bizarre. And then they go out and they avoid a run the next day, but then the following day they go for another run again and that dang hamstring is there again and they're limping through it a little and then they cut their run short, right? I think everybody listening is going to have a time or two where they have an example like that, right? And so just like going all the way back to how you guys got linked up and then Matt, it'd be good to hear from you on this, like your personal experience with, I guess not beating into submission, but uh, romancing along your injuries, so to speak. Like, could you walk through a a couple of things that you went through? And then I want to ask a few like sort of questions about that, like the little things that pop up. So people will have some true sort of like tangibles, like what happens when, right? When this happens, what are the next steps? So like Matt, what were some of the things? I know you mentioned planner, a couple other things. Like, what did you experience um, with those things? I think you're muted, Matt. You're muted. Fortunately, I do it once an episode, so it makes me feel better. Yeah, it's guaranteed. Like, um, you you should thank me for having put the mute on. We had dishes rattling in the background, but guaranteed, if I if I mute myself, I will forget I'm muted. It's um, anyhow. so the, the, the example that is, uh, was most instructive to me was um, right, right around the time I turned 40, I had my first uh, uh, experience with Achilles pain, like pretty common. You know, you're, it's like a classic middle-aged runner uh, issue. And it was a, a one that it was with me for more than a year. I went to see, I had imaging done. Uh, they're like, we don't see anything. Um, I, you know, I, I went to sports medicine specialists. I went to um, multiple physical therapists. I remember one, he subjected me to a certain test and I, he was like, did that hurt? I'm like, nope. He's like, you should be able to run. I'm like, I cannot run. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I just struck out and, um, and it was really frustrating. So, you know, as a, as someone who, was injured often and was also did triathlons. I had no problem cross training, so I was I was keeping fit, but I you know I wanted to to really be able to run and I could hobble around a bit, but it was like it was very limiting. And uh, among the many things I tried uh, uh, to get over it were like little tweaks to the way I ran. And I was out uh, experimenting with my with my stride uh, one day, and I just started um, trying to run by sinking my butt a little lower to the ground, kind of. The, uh, like the way Groucho Marx walks, you know, like the walking, sitting down. Um, it's like, it's one of those things where you feel like you look ridiculous, but you know, that is how my someone... high school coach ran. Oh yeah. Yep. Ran a 1432 5k sitting in a chair. <laughs> uh, if you look at old footage of Alberto Salazar, he ran like that actually too. Um, 
the Groucho Marx style. But it was funny. Like, so I, I tried this one thing and I had tried other ways of like running different. Um, and I knew instantaneously. It's like I, I had been dealing with this, in, uh, this injury, this pain experience for like 18 months and just like like flipping a switch, I knew I'd come out the other side of it. Like it was just, I could feel, it was still like a little sore to run that way, but I'm like, I can do this. Like, this is manageable. I just, you know, it was tough. Cause like, you know, you know, <laughs> any type of, you know, rep simple repetitive motion sport, like if you're going to change the way you do it naturally and unconsciously, no longer is it going to be natural and unconscious. You have to think about it, but it worked. You know, I, I came out the other side of it. And I just had a new stride. Um, so like, that's it in a nutshell, what we're talking about. And so ever since then, it's like, you know, the, the accumulation of experiences like that, you know, each one different in its particulars, but kind of the same in terms of the underlying principles. I almost think of, uh, of myself as, as water, you know, so like, you know, as an athlete trying to get fitter and perform at a high level in competition, I'm water flowing in a direction that I want to go and I will run into obstacles that sort of block my way and don't want, don't allow me to flow along my preferred channel. That's okay. I'm water. <laughs> you know, all I do is just, I go around it. I go over it. I go under it. Like you can't stop me. Like I'm water, I'm flowing with gravity. And so that's the way I've always looked at, you know, it's a little alarming and unsettling. Like you hit an obstacle cause you don't know how you're going to get out the other side of it, but you can still getting back to Bracken's question about like, you know, wanting a simple answer, simple answer is no good if it's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, what, what I have found, I, I think this message is incredibly empowering for athletes. You know, if you prefer a simple wrong answer, you know, that's on you, but like what you can, what you can kind of take comfort in is knowing that you can figure it out, that you actually don't need an answer. Like that's even, there's even more comfort in that. Like having an answer, great if it's true, but the next, you know, even better than that is knowing you don't need an answer. Like I, I am water. All I have to do is, is just like allow the process to unfold. And now I do this, you know, I'm not the expert Ryan is, but as a coach, I do this, I, I message this all the time with athletes. It's like, like, coach, my knee hurts. And you know, what's the answer? I'm like, I don't know, but I know we can figure it out. Um, and like, and it's absolutely true. We always do. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not telling them a story. So that's a really good news story. Uh, but you, you know, you always have to base your solutions in reality. Um, and just, it's not a reality that we have a ready answer to every pain problem we experience. We just don't, but we can always figure it out. And that's sort of what I learned through my own experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. That water analogy oh, uh, is a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Bruce Lee. That's a classic Bruce Lee quote. So, but I'll, I'll try mm. to avoid that. Uh, <laughs> I talk about Bruce Lee a lot. And Matt's like, leave it alone. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, back to going to, uh, following a, a a wrong answer. So, um, there's <clears throat> there's something called uh, an iatrogenic effect. So, meaning you create a patient is basically what that means. The term means is. Um, so if you follow the wrong answer, it can lead you down a bad path because you, you start building beliefs about what needs to be fixed. You know, you think, oh, I need to stand just right, or this needs to be corrected. And, um, we're all so individual. That's just, that's an impossibility. Like 
uh, how correct do you have to stand in order? How, how correct does your posture have to be before your pain stops? You know what I mean? That's, that's a recipe for insanity in my mind. Um, so but that's the fitness uh, industry. Oh, I know. That's why I'm saying as loud as I can, stop it. You're hurting people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's true because all of a sudden you get so in your head, you're like, oh, I've got to run this way or something's going to hurt. And I'm like, my right. ass you do. Like uh, you have many, many ways to do things. It's, that's our gift is, you know, like the fact that we can do things so many ways. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, there's, there's something called, uh, uh, dynamical systems theory. I don't know if, um, you guys have ever read anything about that, but it's complex systems. Like the gift of being a complex system, like, is that you have many, many ways to do something. You don't have to do something one way. Uh, and pain especially isn't dependent upon that function. Maybe like when I, some people that I train that I'm like, oh yeah, you should be able to put your hand over your head and produce a great amount of force. Um, and if you can't do that, let's do that as a climber, um, a climber. Um, but saying that if you can't do that, you're going to have pain in your shoulder is just a lie. Hmm. Hmm. So right away, I have two this, specific go to it, Kirk. I went out last time. You went out this time. No, <laughs> That's right. So re relationships are about compromise. Um, well, I had two specific, I had two specific there, there's questions your pain experience. before. That's your pain experience recipe right there. It's painful. Right there. Oh, we, we, we get by guys. It's our delay. I swear we're, we're, we're pretty good. Um, without it, but, um, to, a curiosity I want to get to, and I want to use a couple examples. Like you get done with your run, your hamstring hurts. I alluded to that before. I want to walk listeners through like a process, but yeah. um, two questions specifically that are just kind of like, I'm curious as to your thoughts. Um, I was dealing with like what was potentially diagnosed as an aroma. Mm -hmm. I think it was ended up being diagnosed as uh, stress fractures in my sesamoids. Nonetheless, mm -hmm. uh, two times Spartan race world champ, Robert Killian. I was supposed to be on his world championship relay team and he kicked me off, really hurt my feelings. Mm. And I got injured and had to stop running at the same time. He's like, oh, I had a neuroma. I understand. It was horribly painful. And I just ran that thing into submission. I just said, F you. I'm going to beat the shit out of you <laughs> until you submit to my demands. And he said, and it worked. It was a tough few months, but it worked. He's like, just go beat wow. the piss out of it. For example, <laughs> but if you knew his mindset, it might not surprise you. And I'm paraphrasing, right? But is yeah, there yeah. such a thing... I'm sure if he listens to this, he'll be like, that's not how it went down. And he's probably right. But the gist <laughs> right. of it, as I remember, is reality. And so is there, is, there any, is there any truth to that sort of line of thought? Like, you know what? Like, it can only hurt so bad. Why don't I just keep, you know, pounding it? And what's the worst that can happen? Is, is there any merit to that thought or logic for the extremists out there? Oh, man, I would be... I, I don't think that would be very responsible for me to say that. So, um. <laughs> I'm not saying you think it. I'm just saying this is just philo philosophical questioning. Yes. Yes. I mean, um, sure. That's, that's, uh, my, my, so that's my dad. You just described my dad. I, I left the hospital one day because my dad, uh, with my dad, because he had broken his leg again and we left, went home, and he cut the cast off so he could ride the next day. 
Uh, and so, oh yes, uh, that's, that's a person out there. Um, but, um, I mean, Keith Richards did it work? Lived to be. Wait, hold on. Did it work for your dad? Did it? Did that work? Yeah. I guess that's what I want to know. Legs healed, (laughs) he biked, everybody's happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, Keith Richards has done everything he has done and lived in 90. That doesn't mean that he is an example to follow, right? He didn't do it because. He is the outlier. (laughs) Yeah. He's the outlier. Um, So. And there are, oddly enough, there are many, um, almost 50% of neuromas are asymptomatic. So that's weird, right? So you can look at a foot of a runner and you're like, oh, that hurts, right? And they're like, no, it does not hurt. Um, so yeah, that, that can be the case. Weirdly enough, so if you have a, you know, a sesamoid fracture um, or a really grumpy sesamoid area, the, the thing that you're going to do is just avoid, you're going to modify your activity a little bit until it's happy again. Uh, so symptom modification and then directional preference. So you're going to like get a shoe that's stiff and you're like, yeah, it doesn't flex right there anymore. And it does feel better, but that's just because you stopped like pushing into it really, really hard. You know what I mean? So if you get a super stiff shoe, uh, yeah, you'll start, you'll stop bullying that area, so to speak. It's a sensitive area. Um, but you're just modifying what you're doing for a little while and then coming back to it and then it's better. So it's, it's, we've really made a lot of these things really complicated, um, but they're not. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. So the answer is that you can beat it into submission. That's what I was <laughs> Bingo. No, I actually, no, I actually, we try to pick up the tagline for the episode that's not the real one. And that's going to be it. <laughs> Well, I actually, now I just, because we're down that track, I do want to hear, so what happened with your dad? Could you actually, like, what was this? I just got to know now. Like, like he actually came home with a broken <laughs> bone and cut his cast off and went out for a Well, bike you can't put on a, ride? Ride, a riding boot. So my dad is a racehorse jockey. Um, and, tall guy. Uh, yeah, really tall. <laughs> not huge. Oh, yeah, hi. Yeah, but he had persona on grata. So he was great and, and is great in many ways, but... uh little in stature. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of his approach to pain management, Mm -hmm. um, was it was in the way basically. Um, and so it just wasn't like, well, so he broke his neck one year he broke all seven cervicals. It went undiagnosed for a long time, uh, six months, um, until, uh, one of our family friends who happened to be a neurologist noticed that one of his arms was wasting. (laughs) So, uh, at the races one day and he said, David, I think you should come see me. So in the meanwhile, my dad tried to train during that entire time with all seven cervicals broken. Um, but he would lose consciousness. So he, he would just shut off, uh, onto the ground. Um, but he stayed running. He stayed doing stuff the entire time, trying to like stay fit for the race season. Cause you know, uh, riders have to stay, like he had to weigh 110 pounds with a saddle on his arm. So, uh, in the mornings. So that was just kind of his approach. Um, yeah. And it was funny because, uh, I, I mean, who in the world can just go around with a broken neck and not know it? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
My grandfather, actually, he did the same thing. He uh-huh. he fell in the bathtub at 96 years old, whacked his head, broke his neck, got knocked unconscious, swelled up around it, got up, took some Advil, went back to bed, and woke up in the morning, couldn't uh-huh. move. And like, so, oh, I guess a couple people, couple people can do it, yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask, and then Bracken, you can get to your question, was just the subjectivity of pain, right? Um, yeah. I have a feeling you probably looked into this, like the, um, like everybody said, like I, it's one of my pet peeves. I'm going to be honest, and I, people say it all the time. Like I have a high pain tolerance. Like, freaking get off right. your horse! I have a high pain tolerance. <laughs> I can handle it. Uh, you're sick with you. It, it just, it's one of those things that you hear and roll your eyes. Right? We all have high pain tolerances. We're all heroes. What's the what's the subjectivity on that scale? Like perception is reality. Is there actual measured? Like some people just like somebody's meniscus could be torn and feel nothing because they're tougher than Bracken, for example. Or is there something along those lines that exists out there? Those types of people or no? No. Yeah, there are, there are no. folks that uh, have a pain indifference. Uh, that's a real thing. But it's not because like a pain tolerance. It's not their toughness. Uh, it's... Um, it's, it's funny because people always, you're right. I hear the, you know, I have a high pain tolerance thing all the time. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just different than that. There's actually a, like a bunch of language around that for the, the specialists in the world. Um, but it, what is it's it? just What's that language? high tolerance. <laughs> Come on. There's pain, all these little subsets, um, uh, amongst the, uh, academics. It's kind of hilarious. Like we, I swear it changes like every six months too. I have to update my language around pain because I'm like, good Lord, because there's new research, you know, and they're like, oh, it's not central sensitization anymore. It's this <laughs> or it's not, you know, pain and difference. Now it's this, which I appreciate on an academic level. Like that has to be done. Like we have to we have to clarify things. Um, but down here where we're trying to do Spartan races and your foot hurts, I don't know how unnecessary it is right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the, the pain tolerance thing is, um, I, I agree. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, the fact that you're saying that probably means you have very little understanding of pain. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you just offended half of our audience. <laughs> because all runners think they have a high pain tolerance. Like, I'm so tough. <laughs> I'm the hard, most hardcore guy, you know. <laughs> if there was a thing as pain tolerance, the people who had a high one wouldn't know it. Right. If you're thinking, yeah. like, man, I have a huge pain tolerance. Like, no, you got hurt. You to tell us about it. No. The guy yeah, next totally. to you. <laughs> You know the monk that didn't say anything? Yeah. That's, that's a high pain tolerance. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't care about it. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. You said something. So is there any more? Go ahead, Kirk. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm good. I've done enough. Well, you said something earlier that really intrigued me. And it was it, it, it stemmed from Matt sitting in a chair and running. You know, dropping dropping a squat a little bit, and it just changed the entire trajectory of how his pain went. Uh, mm-hmm. We get asked all the time as coaches by runners, "Do I need to fix my form?" And I always tell them, "Listen, there are two camps of people. There are those who are form overhaul, and those who are form optimization." 
mm-hmm. and you you will you'll know it <laughs> as soon as you get to one that is like this is how humans must run there's something wrong with you if you don't and i'm not even going to get into that because it's not my world i don't I, I can't come to grips with it i don't understand it go talk to them if that's what you want but if you're form optimization, you allow for wiggle room and how do you best move? So with all that kind of as an aside, in someone like Matt's situation, I'm running, it hurts. I tweak how I'm running to probably a suboptimal power generation stride and my pain mm-hmm. goes away. Do you have a protocol for like return to form? Or are you okay? I mean, and or are you okay with that's your new form? We're going to optimize that mm-hmm. form. What is the process once you go down that road? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with the uh, the relationship argument. So, you know, if you've, if you've had a, a bit of a blowout with uh, a loved one and when you re-enter the room, you just have to go careful, you know? <laughs> so, and how you need to re-enter the room is going to be different each each time too. But yeah, I... So gate, gate, we do gate analysis here, mm-hmm. which seems completely contrary to like what I'm saying, right? Uh, no, it's, it's another form of analysis. <laughs> so exactly. So, uh, and I have done quite a bit of gate training. So I actually am pretty well informed on gate and the science of gate. And that's why I'm saying it really rarely matters. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but what we bring to the table is all those other things that you can change, you know, like, uh, your, your training volume, uh, your allostatic stressors. So your other life things that are going on. Um, so I guess it's back to like what we were talking about in the very beginning of this talk is when you come back to your running, um, and you're, you've decided I don't need to run like Groucho marks anymore, or I, you know, I don't have to just run Hills. Now I can go and run flats. Uh, and I can increase my speed, um, then, um, basically just gently introduce that, that, um, activity. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Or is that helpful? Yeah. So, so yeah. Matt doesn't necessarily have to be Groucho the rest of his life. Not at all. No, 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 no. You, that's, that's what I was saying by, you know, he can change. Um, there's so many things to change. And then as soon as you want to run fast again, you know, cause that's necessary if you're mm-hmm. wanting to run fast. Um, if you're wanting to optimize your performance then sure, just, you might even just gently grade in like one, you know, like you ran like Groucho for a week and the next week you might try to change the surface. You're going to try to run faster on. So maybe like a grassy field instead of a track, you know, on, you know with cleats. Um, so like experiment a little bit. Um, yeah. So, or, or treadmills, like treadmills, ironically, there's, there's, um, a spike in Achilles on treadmills. They, uh, you have a little more on a treadmill. So, but maybe that's your way you could like, you could have your treadmill at, you know, 10 degrees and then slowly bring it down. So there's lots of options to sort of reintroduce, uh, your optimal running. Yeah. That's good. I like that. So is it really about is it really about workarounds or is it about fixing a problem? It's not about fixing a Well, I mean, uh, what do you mean by fix? <laughs> I don't know what I mean by fix. You're the expert. <laughs> fixing a cause. So, do, you, do you care uh, about the cause as much sure, initially or no? Or is yeah, that the cause. No. Causality is, um, 
So causality is one of those things that I personally uh, try to avoid assigning anything causality for your pain experience. Does that make sense? Because mm. uh, it, it's, well, for one thing, it's fallacious. It's just wrong. Um, you, you can't really say it, it, it. Causality is a subset of epistemology. I don't know if you guys know what epistemology is. So, but there's a whole criteria uh, for what, um, what can be termed causal. So it's called the human re- human regularity theory of causation. So I would avoid um, it too, honestly. After that, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, you don't have to fix a thing. Um, like you don't have to fix. It's, it's but this is the confusing part, right? Like. Like there are those Hagelin deformities where people have their Hagelin deformity chain, uh, they have surgery done for their Hagelin deformities and they're like, Oh yeah, it's way better. Um, so on occasion, um, yeah, but <laughs> most often by far most often, no. And there are plenty of people out there running with Hagelin deformities that they're pain free. So, um, but I wish I would always move away from, uh, thinking of trying to fix the one thing because it's never one thing ever that's causing your pain. Yeah. I, I, so, uh, like a personal anecdote that just happened recently is I trained really hard, um, uh, a few months ago and then we went on a climbing trip. Um, and I have never had tendonitis as a climber, which is completely unheard of. Uh, that's just not a thing that happens, but I got done with my workout. The next day we drove like eight hours to the place we we're going to go climb. Uh, and my, on, I, I did a bunch of kettlebell swings, um, with a pretty heavy kettlebell. And so my, um, both of my elbows were super sore. Um, my left one in two days, uh, resolved. My right one did not resolve. Um, so it didn't really change my, the climbing. Uh, so the only thing I'd changed just a little bit was I thought, okay, I'm just going to warm up a little bit more. That was all I did. Um, but if I had gone to see somebody to get a diagnosis, they would have said, Oh, you have lateral epicondylitis. And I've been like, well, I don't think so because it happened in one night. So, and that's not really how that works. If you're going to give me that diagnosis. Right. So I had a sensitive area on my elbow. That's it. That's all I could know. Uh, and so, I saw it as an opportunity just to kind of do a little um, experimentation with myself. So uh, instead of trying to do anything specifically, I was like, I'm just going to let this thing ride out. Uh, and it did it. But weirdly enough, it like moved around to my tricep. It moved around to medial. It just like migrated, uh, changed and by the week. And I was like, well, but it was continually getting better. There's something called natural history. Natural history is like things getting better on their own. A lot of times that's what happens when you have a procedure and you associate your procedure with the change and pain, but really it was probably just natural history. So it just got better on its own, but you associate it with that thing, you know? Um, and it just resolved, but it, it took a few weeks. I stayed training. I stayed climbing. I actually didn't change much at all. Uh, and if it had stayed around a little longer, I probably would have picked some exercises that specifically pushed into it a little bit. Um, but I just kind of was doing a little experimentation and let it run its course and it just went away. So what if it came back again in a month? 
And then um, two months after that, how would your process change? Uh, you know, if it, it, I would probably just let it kind of, if it wanted to hang around and come along for the ride, I'd just let it do that. Uh, if it started affecting my climbing, um, because climbing is like how I enjoy living, right? Like if mm -hmm. it started affecting that stuff, like, um, then I would probably go at it a little more directly and be less passive. But you would work towards removing the like issue with and rehabbing it. You wouldn't care about the cause. I can't even know the cause. Okay. <laughs> so um, you can't just point at the yeah, kettlebell so, swings and say, that's uh, it. Like that one, that would be too simple. Yeah. Right. But the next step is why is it in here? You know, but it's actually not in here. It's not even a thing. It's like, that's how we think about pain is as a thing, but pain isn't a thing at all. Um, so you relate it to that, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, it's right there, but it's not right there. So, uh, it's a really weird thing. This stuff gets philosophical and like, um, really quickly like it, it it turns into theories of consciousness like really quickly um so but like what you did with your uh knee when your knee hurt um you just started doing exercises that you know kind of targeted that area mm -hmm. uh and then it it ended up getting better so and so that's basically what i would have done with uh, my elbow has been like okay well i'm going to pick some exercises that sort of push into that a little bit um, ask it to do some things, see how it responds over the next couple of days. If it responds well, stay the course. If it needs like a little less, a little more, then I'll do a little more, a little less, uh, uh, those kinds of slight adjustments. It's when you get those big adjustments, you know, when you become reactant to what's happening, uh, the reactance is when things can go really wrong because all of a sudden you're like, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And then you end up just propagating this experience. Yes. Mr. Fitzgerald. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, Ryan and I make a good team because like he knows the stuff and then I have to kind of make sense of it. Like my water uh, metaphor and then and of course as a coach, I'm passing it, it on. But one, one, uh, one thing that I found helpful and it was funny because, you know, Ryan and I spent like three years writing this book and we started we started working on it together because like I understood his message, and yet continually throughout the process of 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 writing, um, I would revert to like the the old way of thinking about pain, and like Ryan would be like, uh uh uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like this stuff is it's so ingrained um, that it's really hard to understand to to fully like. Uh, except just how radically different this paradigm is. Um, and, uh, and so for me, for me, one, one thing that I have found helpful is just a tool is like, um, you know, pain isn't damage, it's fear. Like, and, and if you're looking at like managing the process, like, you know, my elbow hurts, my elbow hurts because it's afraid, <laughs> not because it's broken. Um, and, and so it's, you're, you're just sort of like, you look at the process that way, which I know it sounds kind of woo woo, but like, it really does make sense of like why certain things work. You know, it's like if your elbow is not broken, but it's just afraid, well, how do you make it go away? You don't make it go, you don't make it go away by fixing it because there's nothing to fix. You make it go away by reassuring it. 
And, mm-hmm. and and how do you reassure it? Well, one thing is actually believing in your own efficacy. It's like, oh, I got this. You know, I don't know exactly how I'm going to get through it. Already, you're part of the way there just by just by simply mm-hmm. believing that you can figure it out. And then you also reassure mm-hmm. it by by you know Ryan's symptom modification. So it's like, all right, you know, I'll compromise here. I'm not just going to like stubbornly keep doing the thing I was doing when it started hurting because that is only going to make it more afraid. I'm going to insist on still using my elbow or whatever, um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make some adjustments and and you tell me if that's okay, elbow. Um, and so it's just a little bit about like a, a conversation you're having with that body part. And it really starts to like kind of make sense conceptually of like why it works to do this, this stuff. I almost, I almost swore. Um, and, and why you don't really need, you know, an MRI and, you know, you know, you know, an injection and all that other stuff. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, well, as iatrogenic potential, those other things. So what role in this does the book play? I haven't received it. Kirk got it two days ago. He's who knows what he does with his life, but he's not reading right now. So what, <laughs> what role does this play? Is this a, this is, this is to get you to comprehend that pain isn't a thing is this to get you to be open to the idea or is this a roadmap for how to deal with it what have you two done with this book that's that's a great question uh so the book further fleshes out this conversation um in much more detail um and then gives a bunch of uh stories that um have have a bunch of examples of athletes that i've worked with through the years with this process mm-hmm. where people have been passed on and passed on and passed on through really frustrating, um, treatment programs. Um, so it shares a bunch of those stories. And then also at the back of the book, uh, there's a QR code that you can scan with over 60, uh, videos that kind of guide you through uh, process starting at the foot and ending at the shoulder. Um, so like, foot, ankle, knee, hip, back, um, all the way up to the shoulder. We're going to do elbow and neck, uh, also. Um, so just giving you like graded, uh, programs, uh, through all of those areas. So, and when you ask, like, do you have to have a specific diagnosis and a specific, um, um, treatment program, the, the research says no. Uh, in fact, like you can have like a specific low back treatment program and it is going to be no different than going for a daily walk. So the only difference is, is your efficacy might be a little greater, uh, when, if you just took, went on a walk daily because you weren't dependent on anybody for your treatment program. Does that make sense? Kind of. So, um, we'll go ahead. Uh, how, what, what questions came out of that? Anything? Well, you said that a, a specific targeted lower back treatment program may be less, slightly less effective than going for a walk. And, and I guess just the why, the specific why. Yeah. Um, the, and it, that would be, be like if you became dependent on a clinician for your treatment or if your beliefs were influenced by your treatment program. Like if you were like, oh my, I don't have good segmental control or my psoas, uh, this poor psoas has been blamed for so much crap. My psoas has been tight and needs to be released. That is just 
malarkey. Uh, so nobody can release your psoas. Um, so, and it doesn't need to be released in order for you to be able to feel better. Uh, I, it's not that I don't appreciate those folks that are trying to help people, but it, it's very likely that they're making things worse. So you're getting people out yeah. of a closed loop system. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's clear. So follow that, that up. Do you think that oftentimes people would be better off without a diagnosis? Like my knee hurts. Let's start with these things instead of like, not like, cause the first thing, and I'll be the, I'll be as guilty as Bracken probably is. I have an athlete. Guilty. They're complaining. They're complaining about their hip for the last four months. And finally I'm like, can we just go f- get a diagnosis? Can we just go find out uh-huh. what this thing is? Right. I mean, I've got, and I'm sure you're cringing right now. But like at some point as a coach, I'm like, well, I don't even know what to prescribe anymore because we can't do half of the work and da da da. So right. farm stance might be like you may be better off not even going that route at times or most times. Is that what I'm understanding? Exactly. You guys, in one year, we're going to circle back. You, you guys are going to be in a different place. So <laughs> you're well, starting to put it together. <laughs> well. <laughs> So then let's use, I mean, I know you've all, you, you've all used examples, but both of you actually, Matt and Ryan, but, and you don't need to give away, they can read the book if they want specifics, of course, but like back to my, like you go for a run, your hamstring's bugging you a little bit. You take a day off, you go for a run again, that same dang pesky hamstring. You notice when you go to do your pickups or your quality session, you're like, it does not like when I opened my stride and now you had to abandon your 400 meter repeats because it didn't feel right. And you mm-hmm. come back again, like let's walk uh, myself too. I need things dumbed down. Like and our listeners, like what are they, what would be the process there? What would be going through your head if that were you, how would you address that? So I, my session just before we got together happened to be with somebody with a grumpy hamstring. Uh, oh, great. So, <laughs> so we, what we did was, uh, was this, was this Shelby? Like, was this Shelby? Yes. Uh, so I, I, co- I coached Shelby and I, I, I sent her to Ryan with her grumpy hamstring. Okay. So this is a closed loop yeah. system. I'm starting to get a picture. Of yeah. Okay. yeah. That's a racket. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> What percent kickback yeah. uh, do you give uh, Do you give Matt when he sends you his injured athletes, Ryan? <laughs> What's the deal you guys are working out? Just kidding. This is person-centered. We're talking about Shelby, okay? Um, if she gets three of her friends. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to be a perfect pyramid. Um, so uh, what we did was uh, when she was trying to do her uh, speed work, she, it would flare up. Um, and so what we decided to do was she has some more exercises that are a little more demanding for her hamstring to incorporate through the week. We changed, like strength uh, so exercises. Sorry. Just to really yeah. sort of, sort of split, split in the yeah. hairs here. So giving them targeted yeah, to yeah. work the area more, not less in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, exactly. So yeah, exactly. So she's, she, increased her hamstring work that she's going to do on our off days. Uh, she did not stop her, uh, speed work. We changed the surface that she's going to do it on. Uh, so I asked her to go to a field rather than a track. Um, uh, we, we changed a few things. We lowered the dosage for the day. Um, so basically, but she didn't stop. 
Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. it, there wasn't like a cessation. We just kind of changed the dosage of the same thing that, uh, that it's the same medicine. Yeah. I'm gathering like the, um, yeah, like the water analogy that I think I'm going to use for perpetuity is like very much true. Like the rock is in the way you find a way around it for the time being, but the flow will resume on the other side of the rock. The workaround being the few things you're, you're addressing at what point, at what point with even like, um, let's say some, let's just use the hamstring for example. Is there ever a point where it's like, okay, we do need to like, we do need to like chill just for like a minute here. Is there ever like really an yeah, there's, option? There's definitely, no, there's, there's definitely a time to like, let something just calm down. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Cause if something's so bugged, uh, pushing into it and bullying it is not going to help. It's just going to make it more bugged. So there's a time to let things kind of calm down. You can stay moving though. Like you can even stay working out. Uh, just maybe that one thing that really upsets it every time just for a little bit, let it calm down a little bit. You know what I mean? But stay doing your other stuff. So, uh, to circle back to with like needing a diagnosis. So with like hip and things like that, there, there are so many, um, diagnostics for like with shoulder, there's over 200 diagnostic tests, uh, so they're like, yeah, you do this, you do this. This is the nears. Conveniently, like that guy that thought it up, that was his name. So he's like, oh, that's me. I did that. And I'm like, no, no, you didn't. That's just how an arm moves. And it hurts when you do that. Uh, and so we're not going to do that for a little bit. And then when we retest it, we're going to do it again. But you didn't do that for a little while. And now all of a sudden, surprisingly, it feels better. Uh, but those things... Of those 200 and something diagnostic tests for the shoulder, only one of them tests a specific structure. So you can't, what I'm saying is you can't test a specific structure. That's what I'm saying. It's an impossibility. And the reason is because the, because like pain is so mercurial or obfuscate. Um, and, uh, and because we are so robust, like there are so many muscles in the shoulder that can, do different things. That's, that's why it's, it's an awesome joint. That's why you can't test a specific thing in there. I can rant about this. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> I have one follow-up question, Bracken. Yeah, one last follow-up question then. So when you're finding the work around the boulder in the stream or whatever you want to say, is always option one, like find another way to, let's say our audience is runners find another way to run first. Like step one, like let's, let's find another way to do the thing. Not like, Hey, go get on the bike for five days and then go back to running. Is your preference always to do the thing? Like I have shin splints yes. right now, for example, and I've only run once this week. I've inclined hiked mm -hmm. twice, which is as close as I feel like I could get with still allowing it some grace. But like, is it always like, okay, let's run, let's change the surface, your stride, your shoes, the tempo or pace. Like, are you always like run? Like, let's do that first and see how it responds to that before you even degrade further from the original activity. If, if I'm working with a runner or if I'm working with a climber, I worked with a climber earlier this week, uh, yesterday, um, had not climbed in six months, hadn't hung out with his friends because they're climbers wasn't participating in his meaningful activities. So all of a sudden he was a little island uh, and it made him sad. And that absolutely can contribute to your pain experience. Uh, so yes, 
the first thing I told him was, let's start climbing maybe tomorrow. Uh, um, and I think it's important for a climber to climb. I think it's important for a runner to run. Though especially those, you know, there are some people that, as as we know, uh, as being weird people, um, this is how we find our joy, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I want that person to go and be with their friends. And if that means they need to change how they're doing that for a little bit, um, that's okay. But sure, yes, try to get a runner to be able to run as soon as possible. My term, the term I use in my coaching okay. for this process is uh, inc incremental retreat. So uh, the idea is like if if you if you if if pain intrudes in a way that prevents you from training one hundred percent the way you want to, then it's like let's make the smallest modification possible that allows us to, to, to get the pain to, to an acceptable level. The caveat to that is variety for variety's sake can be a good thing. So sometimes it's like, uh, you know, this is often the way I look frame it with athletes. It's like, well, you know, it sucks a little bit that you're in pain, but it's actually an opportunity. Uh, Cause like you can, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll do our incremental retreat thing. And sometimes you have to back up a lot, you know what I mean? And so everything's mm -hmm. on a continuum, but it's still the same technique. Um, it, it's one technique and it's just, it's just different degrees of how much you're retreating, but then also you're, you're sort of like being, um, a little bit stubborn, um, you know, and, and just like, I insist on training as close to normal as I can, but then also creative and resourceful. It's just like, well, you know, let's just like, um, let's just try some stuff. And, um, you just, you just never know, um, you know, uh, something will work. And then, then sometimes you're like, you know what? I'm actually going to keep this in the mix. You know, the, the, the pain, pain is gone, but that, yeah, that notion of incremental retreat, um, is, I find myself explaining it that way to athletes all the time. Mm -hmm. So, so what's the safeguard in this process against compensation issues or imbalance driven problems that occur? For example, coming back from my broken toe, I developed Achilles, which moved to left calf, which moved to right hip because I was clearly, as I was, changing the way I ran because I still could run. I was mm -hmm. doing it incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that, that would, I would, I would change a little bit of the thinking around that. So it wasn't that you were doing it in incorrectly. It was just a novel thing. Uh, so it was novel. And a lot of times when we do something, you know, well, think of it as like a training spike. So it was kind of a training spike in, the, in a certain way. Right. Cause all of a sudden you're doing a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe if you had like eased into that a little more, it would have been fine. Your Achilles wouldn't have gotten upset. Uh, but you being uh, the type of person you are <laughs> decided to go into it. Um, so, but it wasn't necessarily that it was wrong uh, or it needed to be corrected. It was just a novel thing that happened pretty quickly. And so some tissue got grumpy because as a result of that, does that make sense? It does. Okay. So, I mean, following along that, are you at all worried that people who read the book and don't have access to you will misapply and yes. it'll be counterproductive. <laughs> okay. Of course. Uh, I'm hoping that most everybody will kind of uh, get it, you know, that it's a process and it's, um, it's, it's dynamic in nature. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be those, there's always somebody out there that's going to completely misinterpret what uh, is being, uh, um, said, but 
Yeah. Uh, and yes, I do. I do worry about that. Like it, it I, I had somebody tell me the other day that, that something hurt and they were like, you're just going to say it's fine. I'm like, I have dedicated my life to this. <laughs> I clearly <laughs> give a crap. Like, uh, literally, uh, so don't, don't think that I'm being dismissive. It's not that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, just very often we are okay. So, but yeah, I'm sure because I actually give a crap. Um, yes, I worry about that. I say it a lot on here and with my athletes is that we are not to be trusted. Like we get too caught up in our own <laughs> desires and wants and mid workout will make a decision that's not to be trusted. Uh -huh. So how, how do you go about preventing that? Like without being there next to someone, do you have certain cues or, or guidelines or thought processes that they're supposed to be following? Is that part of this book to make sure that you can be trusted in your self analysis for how do I pivot? How do I flow around this correctly? Yeah, it's definitely in there for okay. sure. I mean, we all have our personality types, you know, we're all, uh, like I'm, I'm the kind of person that does a pain experiment on his arm as a climber. You know, where I'm like, yeah, that's okay with me. I'm just going to let her ride along with me for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and other people are totally avoidant of that experience. And they're like, oh, I've got to fix it now. And uh, so, but I feel like there's, there's some guidelines uh, in the book that will help people get to the middle a little better. Yeah. If you were a physical therapist listening to this, um, Ryan, what would you think about all this? <laughs> Um, depends. That was a so, mean question. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just want to, I, I, I have, so I no, have two an appropriate athletes. I, well, I have two athletes I coach who are PT. One's a traveling PT, one's uh, stays put. Um, and I'm just so, I already, I already know I'm going to hear from them. I don't know what they're going to say, but I'm yeah. anxious to, to hear what they have to say. What do you think they're, what do you think? Uh, we have doctors that listen some, for example, I don't know what realm, but like, what do, what do you think? What do you think they're thinking about this? They're like, yeah, I get I it. Think, I think he's right in some regard, or do you think they think you're, you're, you're voodoo? Um, I, I'm not right in some regard. I'm actually right. Um, so, <laughs> look at that. Um, Double down. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I work with a friend of mine that happens to be a pain doc. Um, and he told me recently, he was like, Hey, do you have a back door? in your space anywhere? And I was like, oh, no, I don't. And he was like, you might think about putting one of those in. Um, so, but where we have to, we have to be honest at some point about pain research and bi biomechanical research and reassess how we're, um, how we're helping people. Like we are, it, we're years into knowing we're on a wrong path. Uh, many years into knowing we're on the wrong path into helping people with pain and injury. So there, there's a reason that we have an opioid ep epidemic, you know, um, we're, we're on the wrong path altogether. So, uh, so, and, and you know, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say that with like, I don't mean to sound arrogant. It's just that, um, there is enough evidence out, out there now that it is in our faces. So if, if somebody is still committed to treating pain with purely a biomechanical lens, then you are the equivalent of a flat earther. Ooh. So they're right. Tripled down. 
you know, it's 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 worth it's 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 worth pointing out. Um, you know, that was a, that was a, a good question because um, you know Ryan has pissed off his share of, of physical therapists, um, but um, you know th there could be people who are hearing you know Ryan talk right now and and they're hearing these ideas for the first time ever, and so. And so there's a void. It seems like, oh, like, here's this, like, random flamethrower just, like, you know, you know, just blowing shit up in, in, in a <laughs> void. But, like, in, in point of fact, like, Ryan is not alone. And there are actually, I mean, a, a lot of these ideas came from doctors. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, doctors who are capable of learning <laughs> who doctors who are capable of changing their minds and like, you know, are, you know, you know, that, that famous quote, uh, was it, uh, Emerson, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. It's like, you know, there are people who just like refuse to learn so that they can remain consistent. But, um, you know, you know, this new science of pain, like people calling bullshit, um, you know, the structuralist model of pain and injury, that started in, you know, in science, you know, like, you know, science and doctors. And, and, and so like, there's a vanguard of people who, and, and, you know, like, you know, you, we include some of the stuff in the book, like, you know, doctors mm -hmm. who are sounding the alarm on, you know, the medicalization of pain, like, um, you know, over prescription, over treatment, uh, the diagnosis trap, you know, just like the, the actual harm that diagnosis can do. So there's plenty of doctors and physical therapists. Yeah, they're a tiny yeah. fraction of the whole, but these folks are out there and, and are kind of leading, helping to lead the charge. That's, that's 100% true. And to be honest, uh, I have ridden on the shoulders of those giants. So those people that are actually out there spreading the word, um, I am... I have learned from all of those folks. So, yeah. So I, I'm not the only one. There's plenty of credentialed people out there that are saying the exact same thing, that it's time that we treat these things differently. Well, and while I have no background in this, I have a background in reading Matt's work, and I have a background in studying running. And every time uh, I read something from Matt, it's clear that he was passionate about the research of it. And that was uh, my kind of like comfort in coming into this is that, well, Matt has vetted this. I don't know you. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any yeah. reason to trust you or to not trust you, but I've trusted Matt previously in his level of research. And if he's vetted it, I'm mm -hmm. comfortable having this conversation. And so, and for people yeah. listening, like if it came off at the beginning of this, a little, like, this is not what I expected to hear today. Like Matt's kind of the grounding rod in this, that you didn't have to uh, know this guy, but you know, the associate of this guy, and this should hopefully keep eyes open a little bit or ears uh, into this conversation, then hopefully into the book. That was a hell of a compliment, Bracken. <laughs> Thanks. I, it was AI generated. I wouldn't read too far into it. <laughs> if you had written one less book, he went to said that, but you just hit the minimum <laughs> threshold. Well, and speaking of books, so we, we get asked for our recommendations all the time. And one of our most recent Q&As we did, it was, where should I start along my reading journey? And our answer has changed a little bit to now. I, I mean, I, I started with Jack Daniels first. And then progressed along mm -hmm. to other things. But now I've said, I think 80-20 should be first. 
because that should be your lens at how to approach running. From there, dive into the weeds. Dive into double threshold. Dive into Lydiard if you want. Dive, dive into multi-pace theory. Do all Horwell's five pace. Do all that stuff, but understand the concept that it's about recovering from intensity appropriately. And then we can go from there. Uh-huh. So with your book, where do you see this for people's pain journey? Is this number one? Is this along the way? Like, is this the gateway drug for this or is this all you need? What, where do they start? Where do they go next? Uh, there are some useful blogs out there. Um, Greg Lehman wrote the forward to our book, uh, and his blog, um, is pretty great. So, and he's, he's such a humble guy. Um, and he's, he's a researcher. Like he, uh, did spine research many years ago. He's a physical therapist and chiropractor. Um, so the fact that he wrote the forward to the book says something, I feel like, Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, his blog is super helpful and he'll, uh, he is so well versed in the research, um, that if you have a topic that you want to look, look at, it's really easily found in his blog and you can just, uh, go through it and read really quickly. Like he'll just break it down succinctly and go, nope. That's not anything we really need to worry about. So, yeah. So, um, Greg, go ahead. Oh, um, well, I just, I actually had one. So, I don't have a ton of specific questions um, left. I have one super left field question you alluded towards. And so, I don't want to derail this thing if we're on our way to wrapping up. But it's a personal curiosity, man. You mentioned like this whole idea, this wormhole of like consciousness and the pain and all of this other stuff. Um, I like to waste, if you want to use that word, lots of hours of my time, not on purpose, thinking about weird stuff like that, you know, in a quote. Is there any part of that that's worth discussing when it comes to this conversation? Like the human consciousness, the way we experience things, is that too far into the weeds for this conversation or is that like worth a mini chat? Um, you know, so something I've been thinking of when you mentioned that you, you caused me to think of another worry of mine with that question. Uh, mm-hmm. this can easily <laughs> oh, turn boy. into like, uh, like paleo treatment. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, uh, and like, uh, pop psychology. Um, and, and there's just more to it than that, but that, that is one of the things that kind of scares me a little bit about this approach is you're like, that it's just going to turn into, you know, uh, barefoot running all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so that's something that people should mm-hmm. be aware of that there's, there's more to it than just, you know, uh, pop psychology and yeah, like anyways. So back to your question of consciousness. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, so because, so I, I guess like in, in the, with respect to like pain, maybe, um, because people think of like pain as this sensory input, but that's not what it is. So, uh, what, it, do you well, know, it's like, what I, I mean think, by sensory? What, what, Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. It was like, I was thinking through no? this, like, as you were talking, it was like, well, uh, I get knocked out to get a, I don't know, like a surgery done. Right. So I didn't feel right. pain, but because I was unconscious, but is there right. a state in which, is there a state in which can be found in which, 
anything is possible. You know, I guess it's more like that itch I was trying to scratch. Like I experienced pain, no doubt. I got a knife cut into me and they did all these things like that would have absolutely provoked pain. But because my consciousness was messed with, I didn't. Yeah. So I don't, we, again, that's why I'm talking. I'm in the weeds and I know this is a little left field for our spectrum, but I just, I was yeah. just curious. Yeah. Um, probably, probably not too worth it. Somebody I do think about okay. some, sometimes is the, uh, the monk. I wish I knew his name that set himself on fire, uh, in protest in, in, the, in the, yeah. Uh, it, I think it was in protest for the Vietnam war. Is that right? Uh, but he willingly, you know, sat down, poured gas on himself, uh, and lit himself on fire. And you're like, what in the world? Um, so evidently, I mean, who knows what he experienced. Mm. So, uh, but when you, when you were talking about anesthesia, that's what I, I kind of thought of was, mm. you know, there's probably those extreme stream cases, you know? So maybe yeah. we just need to ask David Goggins about this. <laughs> move on. I kind of don't think we should actually, I'll be honest. So. <laughs> uh, you know, you guys, I think I know, I think I know what he's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this in, in answer to your question that, um, you know, if you, um, it, if, if you learn about pain as you're going to do in, in reading this book, and it's really like, it's, 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 it's a lot more of like what pain is not versus what mm -hmm. pain is, but like, mm. Like, um, it's very eye-opening and it really is sort of an entry point to a different understanding of what it means to be human, you know, cause like, mm -hmm. like pain is so, so fundamental. It, it, it's just like, you know, just a, you know, a universal experience. And if something that elemental is not what you thought it was like, yeah. That is a big change in, in how you understand, um, you know, being an athlete, being a human. And, and for me, you know, w when I write a book, just as someone who is a very avid reader, um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, my books provide a service, you know, like they're always supposed to do something, have some practical benefit for the people who read them, but it's also six hours out of your life. <laughs> you know, it's, you, you experience reading it. And so, you know, I'm sort of glad you asked that question because like, I, I want people to, um, I want there to be layers to this experience where it's, 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 I mean, it's fine if you're just like, yeah, just show me the exercises and I'll be on, I'll get on with my life. Okay. That's fine. But there is more there you know, for you to enjoy, uh, you know, if, and, and you can, it can really just like, you know, teach you a lot actually on a lot of different levels. Mm -hmm. Some of them, you know, pretty, pretty darn philosophical. Mm -hmm. This, this is for me where athletics breaks down from the explainable to the unexplainable and mm -hmm. simply being unexplainable doesn't make it any less real. And as runners, we all have experienced enough. It can't be explained by anything other than mind games on course mm -hmm. in a race in training where things turn around in an inexplicable way that make no physiological sense. So while we're not looking to like go down the rabbit hole and like we've had guests on here talking about some wild things before, this doesn't strike me as the wild things category. This, mm -hmm. no. this is directly what you deal with as an athlete every single day. This yeah. is why there are mind coaches. This is why there are people that only work with athletes as psychologists. And it like this, mm -hmm. 
there's there's an even if it i mean your field can be proven and you are saying i'm right and i can prove i'm right and all that but even if it was an unproven field doesn't change the fact that those people win races because they <laughs> they activate or deactivate things mentally that their competitors don't so even mm-hmm. like i'm a skeptic i'm a healthy skeptic in pretty much everything in life and i love reading and i think those two things yeah. go together very well and i would come into this type of conversation. If I didn't have the background and I started listening, I would be very skeptical, but I don't think anyone should be turned off by the idea that we're talking about consciousness here. Because <laughs> that's the essence of competition. Right. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else you got, Bracken? Anything? Well, I think I turned it to Matt. Matt saw the potential, mm-hmm. the book potential in this. Matt saw mm-hmm. the potential in him coming on here. And he's kind of like the connect from one side to the general audience. So what else do we need to touch upon that's mandatory listening so that people can leave more enlightened or interested in the book or interested in at least pursuing it themselves? You know, funny enough, one thing that has not come up is uh, the phrase training as treatment, which is the the name that Ryan has applied to his methodology (laughs) And that was actually the original title of, mm-hmm. of the book. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that you know, this is sort of the, you know, uh, the sacred cow that, that Ryan is trying to slaughter <laughs> in, in this book. Like this idea that, you know, you know, pain equals injury and that as an athlete, you are either um, uninjured and you're training or you're injured because you feel pain and you're no longer training, you're now in treatment. And, and so you stop training and you become, and you stop being an athlete and you become a patient and you're now in treatment. Um, and that treatment can include exercise. And, and so Ryan is it, like, the methodology is exactly that. He's like, you're always an athlete. You're never a patient. You're always training. And in as much as you're in treatment, the training is the, the treatment. And so that's what you, you know, if you're just looking for like that, that solid concrete takeaway, like how's this going to mm-hmm. help me as an athlete? You know, you are, you are learning that, that process, that methodology training as treatment. So we've been should, remiss. If this should have been our entry. Yes, it should have. Yes. We should but, have waded into the water. Right and now. it was the first time we tried to do this podcast. It was our entry, and we just shot a little left this time. Do you remember? We led with that last time. Well, thank you for saying that, Matt. I appreciate that. And that is helpful. Yeah, yeah you guys and, suck at podcasting. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's oh. not wrong. <laughs> It's undefinable. <laughs> Your perception of my sucking on podcasts is undefinable. <laughs> so, well, on that note, where uh, where is this book available yet? What's the actual title here? It's Pain and Performance, I guess, leads the way, yep. but then Training is Treatment's the subtitle. Where can people find it? Is it available? All that stuff. It's at any bookseller store. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's uh, Barnes & Noble. It's anywhere you can buy a book essentially yeah and i'll right. add that it's it, it's published by the publishers 8020 publishing which i own um so uh, 8020 endurance uh, a company that i'm a partner in we created our own book publishing imprint 8020 publishing and um and then very recently we um uh, scored a very very exciting partnership with simon and schuster it's like a distribution deal. So we're very good at making books. We're not as all, all that great at selling 
them. And so this, this title is our first release uh, within the framework of that partnership. Um, and for that reason, it is, it is widely available. Um, there's, uh, there, there's not an audio edition yet, but that is coming uh, very soon. Um, and yeah. Who's reading it? Not me. <laughs> you seem excited. Well, I mean, it would have been Ryan anyway, because like, you know, it's, it's written in the first person and the first person is Ryan, not me. Um, but um, Ryan actually can't read. So we had to find someone else to narrate. <laughs> That's good. If I heard this podcast, um, if I heard this podcast, I would there's very few guests that I would be like, I'm curious to know more about this guy like that wrote the book. I'd want to learn about him specifically being you. Uh, is there any resource for people to learn about you specifically? Because as Bracken said, there's probably a few healthy skeptics out there. And I think getting to know you as well, is there any resource for that specifically? Me. Your um, clinic, your... the f- oh, yeah. So uh, if you went to paragonathletics.com, you can go to our website and okay. read uh, some more about what we do, some of our philosophy. Uh, the first three chapters of the book are autobiographical as, as well. Um, so Matt, when we first started, uh, writing this together, uh, I actually had, didn't have much interest in saying much about myself, but Matt thought it was important that it kind of explained how I came to the place of, Mm -hmm. uh, um, becoming obsessed with caring for better and people in a better way. So, and now, I mean, he's, he's hundred percent right. So it does provide some context. For me, you know, it was a it was a critical decision in terms of like, you know, the um, how how we crafted the message because uh, you know, a like these ideas are are so novel and unfamiliar that they're hard to understand. So like, even if you bracket skepticism, there there can mm-hmm. be difficulty in simply understanding the ideas. And, and for me, I felt you could actually. Uh, our best chance of allaying both the skepticism and, um, you know, precluding just failure to understand would be to, to tell Ryan's story. And, and we, and, and also the, ch- the chapter, the stuff on his dad, the horse jockey who broke his neck a thousand times, like that stuff is like <laughs> pr- worth the price of admission alone. But like, you know, when you, when you, when you see, through Ryan's eyes, like, you know, he goes from son of a horse jockey to elite climber to, um, you know, like hardcore structuralist who thinks that he can prevent injury in all cases by making everyone move absolutely correctly. And then he learns about pain science and the scales fall from his eyes. And then he's like, oh, my God, I I, I was one of them. And and so I think if you if you walk you know, a lot of miles in his shoes, then, then it's like, you get the buy-in, you get the understanding. It's like, oh, this all actually makes sense because, you know, you, you like, you, you have to, you know, just experience Ryan's journey as he did. So that, that was the decision. So you do learn a lot about Ryan, who's had a very interesting life, I should say. Uh, when I was probably 10 or 11, we got a subscription to ESPN, the magazine. And a lot of it's a blur, but they had a an article on a jockey, and they sat with him on a transatlantic flight and watched him eat like six cashews to stay underweight throughout the whole journey. <laughs> anyway, that whole thing has stuck with me for like three decades. <laughs> so I would read this just to get some more jockey reading in under my belt. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's interesting. Uh, I, you guys will have to cut me off with stories, but. 
Um, in the writing world, um, they do, they practice something called flipping. Um, and flipping is, uh, essentially, essentially bulimia. So, um, my dad threw up every dinner for 30 something years. Uh, and so, uh, and then as soon as he retired, he stopped. Um, but there's, there's so much craziness in that little world. <laughs> so that I just thought was normal where I was like, Oh yeah, everybody goes and throws up right after dinner. Right. Uh, so, uh, but come to find out that's not normal. <laughs> did to relearn some things. That's why that's what you're saying. I did. I, yeah. My yeah. bar was weird. Yeah. Dating was probably pretty fun in middle school. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, Go ahead. Well, do you, um, well, no, I, it's, it's about time. I got to get to the gym for clients. Uh, it's my afternoon routine. Bracken, do you have anything you want to close with or, or anything? No, just thank you. Thank you for doing this. I, I like to research what I like usually, and yeah. I have to be nudged into researching things that are outside of my general scopes here. So I, I'm just personally thankful that, you know, Matt reached out, connected this, and then thankful for you for, for bringing this to, everyone's attention yeah for sure thanks for having us uh appreciate being able to get to share like i said i've literally dedicated my life to trying to provide a better way to help athletes and others so to have a voice um it, it actually matters to me so thanks for having us of course and i assume we get yeah. the feeling sometimes that this is one of this is part one this feels like a part one that there is going to be a space for you in the future where we can rely on your expertise and help people out. So assuming that's a, a future green light, I look forward to that conversation. Right. On. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let it marinate for a little bit. That's right. <laughs> well, appreciate yeah. your time guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. As well. Thank you guys so much. 